I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Autumn and I catch up, talk about our journeys over this week. And then we've got a very, very important conversation. We sat down with Dr. Jen Villavicencio, Sky Perryman, and Reverend Deneen Robinson talking about the recent released draft opinion that might overturn Roe v. Wade in this country. There's a lot of concern that women's reproductive health is at stake in many of the states in the United States. So it is a very important conversation that you are not going to want to miss. So stay tuned. Arms folded, feet pacing the floor. It's written all over your face. The body doesn't hide our true feelings. It disregards promises made to keep the peace or just keep it to ourselves. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. We're giving our listeners a hand when discerning body language. That's our focus in season three. The church is called the body of Christ. So what does our body language say about perennial and pressing hot button issues? What's costing us an arm and a leg? Who do we give the cold shoulder and keep at arm's length? When have we put our foot in our mouth or turned a blind eye? Why are we still sitting on our hands? Where do we toe the line? And why is the kingdom that is coming not on the tip of our tongues? In season three of the Raceless Gospel Podcast, we'll address these questions in eight episodes, and I hope you'll be all ears. The Raceless Gospel Podcast is looking at body language. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Episode one drops on May 5th. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Autumn. We are on the road. I am in Denver, Colorado at this wonderful event. Do you want to know what it's called? You want to know what it's called, right? I, I want you to tell everyone what it's called. <laughs> yep, sure do. It's called the Festival of Homiletics. Are you feeling I mean, are you feeling festive, Mitch? That's my question. It's it sounds almost like the Renaissance fair, doesn't it? I mean, it really <laughs> does. I keep telling you, you're gonna get a Jesus-shaped funnel cake. You know, I show up here in Denver and I was expecting to see, you know, a bunch of clergy and their robes and regalia walking down mm-hmm. the streets. Uh, but no, they're in uh, vans and cutoffs and T-shirts. Good, so. <laughs> as they should be. I'm glad they're comfortable enjoying their, I always get it mixed up, homiletics or hermeneutics? <laughs> well, those are two legitimate words. But I know they are. I paid for a seminary <laughs> degree. And that's about as much as I know. <laughs> That's right. Uh, But no, it's been a great conference so far. I'm right in the middle of it. Heard a lot of great preachers. Uh, You know, I I felt so, I had so much sympathy for our preachers and pastors and ministers throughout this pandemic. We've talked about it on this uh, pod before, not only the pandemic, but the racial justice issues the LGBTQ uh, equality issues, trans issues, uh, presidential election, bipartisan or partisan uh, politics. I mean, our pastors have been through the ringer uh, the last year. And uh, to step behind that sacred desk each and every week, 
uh, I just continue to applaud them and thank them for what they do uh, for the church at large. It's just it's just yeoman's work, and I really appreciate it. And uh, sitting here listening to preachers preach, some of the best preachers across the country, is very inspirational. And you can see it on the preacher's face who are sitting out in the audience. They are being fed, mm. and I think this is exactly what this week needs uh, for them, or needs to bring for them, and that is to be fed uh, by the the word of, of God and, and the words of these wonderful preachers. Uh, it's just it's really a good event. Uh, anybody who's not able to come, uh, encourage you to try to start planning for next year's uh, festival. Uh, it's either in person or online, so uh, you can attend either way. But it's a good time. I'm in Denver, and where are you going? Well, if I can ever get my suitcase packed, we've been in this pod loft all day and I'm trying to pack for a 12 day trip and get four kids ready to be away from us for 12 days. But I'm supposed to be, if plans go the right way, I should be in Hawaii by the time this drops. Wow. And it's not just for vacation and fun, even though there's going to be a lot of fun had. There is. Yes, it's an experience with Good Faith Media. So some of our our Good Faith followers from across the different you know arenas that we operate in are joining us, and we're taking an astronomer along with us as a guest, and he's going to take us to a place where there is no light pollution and show us the stars. And I'm very excited. Well, I'm very excited. Now you did uh, use a phrase that uh, has me a little worried. You said a 12 day trip. I remember a little song and show about a 12 day. Uh, tour that a group of castaways went on. It was a three-hour tour. You're, <laughs> oh, it was a three-hour tour. falling down on your nick at night, Mitch, actually. <laughs> it was supposed to be a three-hour tour, and it turned into being like 12 <laughs> seasons or something. Oh, I don't know. Gilligan, right. Gilligan kept messing it up. <laughs> no, but I was looking. I'm like, that's like half a month. Like, I'm going to be away from my children for half a month. So this, like, ooh, going on in my bones, is that's normal, yeah. right? Yeah, it's good. Right. Well, well, Doc will be across town if, if they need some Perfect. Doc time. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go check on them. So. Perfect. That sounds good. Their grandparents are coming. They're going to be in fine hands. It's just those last few weeks of May where, you know, every day, like I'm looking at a, a pirate costume that I've curated over here. Like we've got to have water balloons. I mean, every day in May is something and we have four kids. So it's just bananas. So you might, instead of praying for me, you might want to pray for the grandparents stepping in well, here. Well, absolutely. Well, I hope you and the team have a great time uh, in Hawaii. Uh, anybody who wants to participate on one of our experiences, you can find out more about those experiences at goodfaithmedia.org. We've got another one coming up this summer to the Pacific Northwest, another one scheduled this fall uh, to Amish country uh, in Pennsylvania as we will interact with some of the Amish communities there. So lots of great things going on and, and Mitch, with our experiences. We also have a writer's retreat coming up in October. That we is going do. to be that's right. And I'm especially excited about this because I used to be a creative writing teacher. That was my job. We were like lava lamps and bean bags in the floor and my students didn't have to wear shoes. And I mean I'm a I like to live what I call a writerly life, and I am so excited to get to spend some time with some amazing writers from a lot of different, from songwriters to novel writers, uh, some of our podcast guests that you might know, Anne Nelson's going to be joining us, and even if you haven't been published before, it's not too late. Um, it's just a chance to get together in some beautiful fall foliage in Georgia Mountain, in the Georgia Mountains, and just write together, and Mitch and I will be there, so if you like this podcast, you'd probably like like to come to the workshop absolutely we'd love to have you so that's a that's a great reminder uh, the writers retreat 
in uh, North Georgia. It's going to be beautiful and it's going to be very inspirational as we get to meet with uh, some incredible writers and singer songwriters and novelists as well. So, uh, so thanks for mentioning that. Well, Autumn, uh, big news a couple of weeks ago, we talked about on this pod before uh, Politico released a leaked draft of uh, a Supreme Court opinion that looks as though they're going to be overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, you and I sat down with three very important people this week. Dr. Jen Vicencio, who's an OBGYN, Sky Perryman, who is the executive director, or president and CEO of Democracy Forward, and Reverend Deneen Robinson. All three of these women are incredible professionals, extremely knowledgeable, and very passionate about women's reproductive health from a faith perspective. So it is an interview that uh, our listeners are going to listen to. Lots of great knowledge in there. So stay tuned and Autumn and I will be back uh, soon. Marvel at Pacific Coast Wells. Wonder in rainforests. Explore wild coastlands and towering cliffs. Join Good Faith Media for a unique and immersive experience in the Pacific Northwest and Olympic National Park. Enjoy engaging conversation with your small group of adventurers led by our team, which includes a journalist, historian, and theologian. Join us July the 23rd through 30th. Learn more at faithexperiences.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got three very special guests with us talking about one of the most important issues that the country's facing this day, these days. Dr. Jen Vicencio has completed her Bachelor's of Science in Neuroscience at the University of Michigan and went on to receive her medical degree as a member of the charter class at the University of Central Florida College of Medicine. She completed her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Brown University Women and Infants Hospital, where she developed a passion for family planning. Scott Perryman is a lawyer, advocate, and leader with a track record of taking on and winning critical fights that advance democratic values, stop abuses of power, and improve the well-being of people and communities. She is named president and CEO of Democracy Forward Foundation in June 2021, returning to the organization where she was once founding the litigation team. She most recently served as a chief legal counsel uh, officer and general counsel of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Reverend Deneen Robinson is with the National Birth Equity Collaborative. The NBEC is committed to the assurance of the conditions of optimal births for all people with a willingness to address racial and social inequities in a sustained effort. She serves populations in Texas, Mississippi, and Louisiana. So Reverend, Counselor, and Doctor, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, as you know, big news uh, last week, uh, or not last week, but a few weeks ago, when Politico uh, announced or, or published a leak of a draft opinion from the Supreme Court. So, Sky, let's begin with you. Since that leak opinion from the Dobbs, Dobbs v. Jackson Women Health Organization case was published by Politico, Lots of discussion has taken place. The leaked draft pointed to the court's willingness to overturn Roe v. Wade. Sky, briefly, can you educate us on the Dobbs case and why the court is even considering overturning Roe? Well, thanks, Mitch. Um, and uh, the leaked opinion is just that. It's a leaked opinion. We don't know what the final opinion will be. 
But the case in Mississippi is a case um, that involves a 15-week ban on abortion uh, care in Mississippi. Uh, and and uh, it went up to the Supreme Court. There were a variety of uh, uh, there were arguments made back in um, the in December of 2021. I think you all covered some of those there. You, he you heard the United States step in and defend um, longstanding precedent in this country that um, that there is a right to privacy and that that right to privacy encompasses one's own reproductive freedom. You saw the uh, counsel for the plaintiffs in the case challenging. Uh, the law also make that argument. And then we saw many institutions, faith-based institutions, medical institutions, public health institutions, racial equity institutions, so many institutions stand up and um, affirm that in a constitutional democracy, our reproductive freedom uh, should be protected. And that, that is longstanding what the courts have interpreted with the constitution. Now, if we take a step back, what I can say is that it is unfortunately not surprising, um, although it will be um, tremendously harmful uh, if the court does what it what it looks like it's poised to do, it is unfortunately not surprising that we're seeing this because the far right extremists in the United States have been incredibly clear for many years that um, they don't believe uh, that the that our constitution protects fundamental liberties such as uh, a privacy liberty that would allow one to control their own reproductive life. And they have waged a campaign through our courts and in our communities in order to impose that view. That is a view that is held by the minority uh, of the country. Um, we know that overwhelmingly people support uh, basic constitutional liberties, including the ability to control one's reproductive life. And really what we're going to see here um, with all the restrictions that have been in place for so many years, and of course now looking at this, which is um, could further cut back on our rights, is a lot of injustice with respect to communities that are already uh, marginalized by systems and structures in our society. And I know that we have um, some wonderful guests here today that can talk more firsthand about the impacts on those communities. So um, that that's a little bit on the Dobbs case and where it is and how it's sort of positioned in our, uh, uh, you know, in our sort of current time. So Jen, if Roe is overturned and states are allowed to ban abortions uh, within their state lines, what will that mean for women's health? Thank you for that question. And thank you for having me on. I'm um, really honored to be here with these other guests and to be talking about this issue that is really deeply upsetting and, and concerning to me as a physician and a doctor who provides comprehensive obstetric and gynecologic care, um, including abortion care. And so, you know, I think the first thing that um, to think about is, as everybody is really worried about this decision coming down, understandably so, is that Roe has not been protecting people for a really long time. We've seen, um, for example, in Texas, people have not had access to abortion um, past uh, around six weeks since September of last year. Um, which is in direct conflict with Roe. And so for many communities, this has already been um, a reality for them. But what we know is going to happen with this sweeping uh, decision is that nearly half the states are going to um, either severely restrict or outright ban um, access to essential health care that is abortion. And what we know is that, also know is that abortion has and always will be a part of the reproductive um, needs of people who can get pregnant and people who want to parent and for people who want to build families. One in four women will have an abortion by the time that they're 45. And the majority of people who have abortions are already mothers. So the people that are going to be affected by this are your neighbors, are your friends, are your families. And um, for some of you, 
who are listening, it might be you who might find yourself in need of abortion. Um, and I think it's also particularly important um, on this podcast to, to mention that people of all faiths, of all faith traditions and beliefs also have abortions. Um, and it is not in conflict with their faith. Oftentimes it is done um, in communion with their faith. And so um, it's, it's a really, really scary time, not only for doctors, but also for people who are gonna need this care. And unfortunately, there is no doubt um, among the scientific and medical community that people are going to get hurt um, and people are going to, their lives and their communities are gonna be severely, severely impacted in, um, in a way that doesn't need to happen. This is unscientific, it's senseless, it's ideologic, and um, it's really a quite terrible shame that this, is, that this is where we're at as a country. Because really the reality, Jen, is that uh, even though some states may outlaw abortion, abortion is still going to remain. Unfortunately, in these states that ban abortion or put extreme limits to abortion, it is putting women and mothers' lives in danger, women's lives in danger. And that is terrifying because where does this type of legislation stop? Because it's not just abortion, it's the totality of women's health and reproductive health. Um, what else is on the line uh, if this were to pass? So you're completely correct that women's and people who can get pregnant, their lives are completely on the line with this. Um, not only in that people, we are going to see people die because of these laws, um, but also their ability to form their own families and make decisions within the expertise of their lives. People are know their families and know their communities and know their situations better than anybody else, certainly better than lawmakers. And so we're gonna see people who are having barriers put in between them and their ability to access essential healthcare. We're also gonna see other aspects of healthcare impacted, um, specifically around early pregnancy management with uh, miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy and um, complications in the later second trimester are also gonna be impacted because physicians are being threatened. Doctors and other healthcare professionals are being threatened with either financial, legal, or even criminal penalties. And so now we have to think about whether or not we're willing to put everything on the line to treat somebody. Um, and that is a really scary prospect to be in when you have someone that is sick in front of you. How sick do they need to be for me to decide that I'm willing to risk it all? That's not something that you want your doctor thinking about when your family member is in front of them. You want them thinking about only the science, the medicine, and what it is that that person in front of them needs. Um, and so it's, it's a real, um, it's a real horrible, horrible impact that is going to happen. Um, and I'm, I'm frankly pretty terrified about what it's gonna look like. Um, not everybody is gonna have the means to travel. Um, that's one thing that people keep talking about is traveling. Another thing is people keep talking about medications getting mailed. And while all of those things are possible, we know that that's not gonna be possible for everybody. And so um, we know that uh, people can manage their, some, People can manage their abortions on their own safely, but not everybody can, um, and they shouldn't have to. Everybody should have the ability to access a healthcare professional to decide whether or not they wanna continue a pregnancy without interference from the government. Um, and that's a, a value that we all can hold because we know that abortion is affirming not only of, of life, but also of parenthood in many cases, because people are choosing this in order to make sure that they can continue to, to parent the families that they have. And that's such an important point because, you know, where does this type of legislation stop, uh, even though 
some states will continue caring for women's reproductive health while other states ban it. There's already talks uh, in many states of uh, putting this type of legislation in place where people would be fined or even face imprisonment if they were to help somebody cross state lines uh, to receive an abortion. So uh, this is this is horrifying for many, many, many reasons. Now, Danine, I want to uh, turn to you. You work with women every day in Dallas. And with Texas leading the effort in banning abortion, as a reverend, what does this mean for your clients in North Texas? So first of all, I want to say I'm really glad to be on this show. Um, my job responsibility is to do religion policy strategy. So um, that question for me has many meanings. Um, mm. Part of what I do uh, in Texas is I serve as an abortion chaplain. So I have had the opportunity to uh, travel with women from Texas to uh, New Mexico on an airplane who were getting abortion uh, access. I also have had the opportunity to work with families who were trying to make the decision on what to do because they've had a fetal anomaly. And unfortunately, these laws don't just impact people who um, are not able to care for children or don't want children at this time. These laws also affect people who want the child that they're carrying. And for those folk, um, this is a harrowing experience because they've had to carry um, fetuses for longer than they should because they've been trying to find some way to access the care that they need. And like the two individuals before me, they have been risking their health risking becoming septic um, because there, uh, when a fetus is inside you and it's not supposed to be anymore, your body's actively rejecting it, it can also harm the carrier. Mm. Um, and, and the other thing for me uh, is to, to look at how people are using um, Christianity and the Bible in such a negative way, in such an adverse way to make decisions around people's lives. Um, because the text does not say that women, that birthing people cannot have an abortion. There's nothing in the text that says that. There are things in the text that say men should not be irresponsible with their seed and that they are unclean if they spill their seeds in negative ways without, the ability, without it being a sign to procreation. But we don't talk about that. And so um, I think it's important um, that we use this opportunity to not only change the narrative, but make sure people understand that essentially people are using dogma to um, position women and other birthing people in ways that will essentially take away their rights to exist and move around in the world. One of the things that I say is that th this is another form of slavery because the people that are gonna be impacted are poor folk, people who don't have access uh, to the resources to get to other states um, to get abortions, uh, people who um, don't even know that there are resources that exist that can help them pay for the procedures that they want or need. And so they result in having to add to their families when they can't afford the children that they already have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Rabbi Rachel Aiken uh, from New York uh, on the show and uh, Rabbi Aiken, or Ain, sorry, Rachel Ain. Rabbi Ain uh, spoke eloquently in a sermon last year after the Texas law was passed about a Jewish theological understanding and advocacy for women's reproductive health. And she outlined text in the Old Testament, uh, the Torah, uh, where it specifically gives instructions on how women need to make certain that they are the important commodity to Yahweh and to the community, and their lives must be uh, saved, uh, and, and how to have an abortion. It was it's just it's spelled out right there. So, you know, yeah. people, often, yeah. people often ask me, Reverend, uh, how can you as a Christian I can use a reverend support uh, reproductive rights and support abortion. And it's not be in spite of my faith. I'm not ignoring what my faith tradition says. It's because of my faith. Exactly. Exactly. My, 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 my statement to them is threefold. Number one, since we believe in a God that is everywhere, knows everything and is ever present for us, then God knows what we're gonna do before we do it. So God's not surprised when I decide that I, that I have enough children and I can't have another one. The, third, the second thing is the, the, the text clearly says, do not parent, do not bring into this world more children than you are able to take care of. You are worse than an infidel if you do that. That's New Testament text. Number three, it's important for us to understand that the Jeremiah text that's used is about baiting folk into guilt. It's, it's in no way supporting or, or, or being used in the way that the text is written. Um, it's important that, that people do what the text says, which is study for themselves and know that it is important for your relationship to be intimate and personal and not be guided by the ideas and edicts, dogma of a denomination or another person. We have to be able to engage in divine connection for ourselves. Women are the center of creation. Creation doesn't happen outside of us. That's so true. And I got that's so true. And it's, I know we've got some scripted questions here, uh, but I've got a, a, a scripted question that I want to pose uh, to the name and to Jen, because there is a deep, deep misconception about uh, women's decision to have abortions. There is this mythology out there that women who find themselves pregnant, and it, it's almost, they don't talk about the they just they focus on the women they don't talk about the men who impregnated them but this this mythology that women are having abortions without giving it any thought it's as simple as you know the simplest act and common act that we would do every day well what they do is they pose it to be like somebody going to a drive-in movie yeah going to a drive-through i'm sorry for fast food Mm -hmm. yeah you're exactly right you you go I think, decide. I want chicken, and you go order chicken. Yeah, I, I, it's not. It's not that simple. 
But I understand I think, th there's deep consultation with doctors and, and clergy when these women make these decisions. I mean, this is not just something that's made overnight. There, there's really a lot of thought. Through it. Sorry, Jen, I'm, I apologize. Yeah, no, no worries. And and I appreciate this question because I do think it's, it's a misconception and something that we need to talk about with delicacy because we we don't want to stigmatize people who make make these decisions um, and know that it is the right decision for them. There are some people who make these decisions thoughtfully but quickly. They get pregnant and they say, "I know that I cannot be pregnant right now," and it is not an agonizing months-long decision for them. There are some people for whom that is a really difficult decision. There are some for some people who have abortions um, because they've had complexities and complications in their pregnancies that were highly desired. Um, it spans the gamut. What I can yes. do as, you know, taking care of people um, on a regular basis and providing abortion care on a regular basis, I have not met anybody ever who has said, oh, I haven't thought about this decision. I haven't considered right. this. Um, right. Making these decisions within the context of their families, oftentimes in consultation with their partners, with their grandmas, with their moms, with their sisters. Um, and they are not alone oftentimes in making these decisions. And they're yes. also extremely thoughtful in terms of how they're communicating that to their community. Some people don't and some people do because they need that support. Um, you know, I provided care uh, a couple of days ago at clinic and I did um, abortion care for a young mom, for a woman who was a grandmother um, and had to get home to take care of her grandkids. I uh, performed an abortion for someone who was graduating from a master's program, for a dentist, and for someone who was recovering from substance use disorder. People, there is no one stereotype or one type of person. That nope. Everybody... Everybody has abortions. Trans men have abortions, young women, older women, moms, single, mo single moms. Um, and, you know, the other thing that I think is also really misunderstood is, is the role of men in this conversation. We've been talking a little bit about that. And men oftentimes are involved in these decisions. They are supportive of and they are consulted and they are a lot of times with my patients in clinic. They are holding their hands and they are right there with them. They are recognizing that this is a decision that is hers to make, but are completely supportive of it. And it's okay for men to have feelings about it too. I, I you know, I had a patient who it was, um, she was very clear about how her health was going to be impacted um, in terms of the pregnancy and was very clear about her decision to have abortion. He was very certain about supporting her but he was having a lot of hard, a hard time with the pregnancy ending because it was his first pregnancy um, that he had been involved in. And we worked with clergy. We had, we prayed with him. We supported him. We didn't say, you don't get to have an opinion about this because you're a man. Um, he was not telling her that she couldn't have an abortion or forcing her. He was being as supportive as possible, but these are community and family decisions oftentimes. And we need to treat them that way and recognize that, um, it is not just this clandestine secret decision that's being made or that it's being done rapidly or that people are doing it without thought. It's hard to get an abortion in this country. People aren't just doing it. Um, they have to <laughs> jump through a lot of hoops and it is, it is something that um, they're putting their body through. And so um, I don't wanna make it sound like it's this overwhelmingly horrible negative decision because for some people it's incredibly affirming and relieving. Um, and we know that people who are able to get their needed abortions are um, have better mental health than those who were denied needed abortions. 
Um, but I think that erasing any stereotypes of who gets abortions is really important and particularly affirming the role of, um, for a lot of people, their families and their partners and men in these decisions is also really important. Um, so that we recognize that this is, this just isn't a woman's problem. This is a community problem. This is a problem, meaning abortion restrictions as the problem affects families across the country. Yeah, so yeah, well said. I, Thank I, you so much. I, and I think it's important uh, to to add to that that um, even even if we don't know that this person has had the the procedure, some part of how we engage with them changes, and it doesn't just change for them. It changes, as she said, for everyone connected to them. And it's important that we not be cavalier um, as people who have the opportunity to vote for folk as people who have the opportunity to provide care and support for people, that um, this is something that is just gonna fly by and they're gonna go on about their lives and that's that. Mm -hmm. It can be any number of, of scenarios, ultimately that person will need support and valid and to know that their decision was made in a way that honors them. And what's happening in our world right now particularly in this country, is the decision is being taken from them. So there's no space for them to be honored and being able to make their choice. And I know awesome. I'm going way off script and I'm sorry. <laughs> Just, um, you know, the other piece in, in the way that Reverend Jean is talking about support and the way that I've been talking about support, I think circling back um, to the faith aspect of this. And I have so many patients who are doing this within the context of their faith, but are scared that they are going to be violating their faith in some way because yes, yes. their organized religion or the people that they are looking out to for faith or spiritual support are not supportive of them. Um, it's one of the reasons that I became, you know, a board member for Catholics for Choice. Um, you know, the Catholic Church, the, the hierarchy has been one of the most outspoken against abortion. Um, but we know that the majority of Catholics are pro-choice and support reproductive access, as we've heard from many faith traditions. And so it's incredibly important that we also talk about how abortion happens within the context of faith traditions and within the context of beliefs. Because patients, people who are having abortions need to hear that and know that their faith communities can and will support them through anything that they're going through, whether they're continuing a complicated pregnancy or having an abortion. Um, and that's something that I, I think is also really missing and that I'm hoping um, even despite these bans, we'll, we'll be able to continue to uplift. And one of the reasons why I'm so thankful for this podcast. Well, thank Those are uh, great answers. Those are terrific. So uh, Denise. I was just gonna add that we did a study with In Our Own Voice uh, a few years back looking at black uh, uh, believers, uh, specifically in Texas and um, in a few other states. And uh, what we found is that 85% of folk who go to church more than three to four times a week want comprehensive reproductive health care, including abortion access. Mm -hmm. So, so, so that, that is absolutely true and unfortunately, we're not hearing from the people in the pews. We're often hearing from the from the leaders who need this um, this their ideology around abortion access to be known. But the, as she said, it's also true for um, 
most religions that are primarily black, including some rigorous religions uh, that uh, have lots of church happenings in a week on a weekly basis. Those women are also saying that they want to be able to have comprehensive reproductive health care for them and their daughters and their communities, including abortion access. Right. So from a legal perspective, what Dr. Via Vincencio and Reverend Deneen are saying is really significant because what we're talking about is the freedom of people to make decisions about their lives, to be able to make moral decisions that are consistent with their conscience, and to be able to control their reproductive lives. And we believe that in a democracy, our constitution protects that, the laws of our states protect that. And um, we, what we see is um, it's very troubling, but at the Supreme Court, when um, there was argument over the Mississippi law, you saw many faith groups weighing in against the Mississippi law, exactly what um, Dr. Via Vincencio and Reverend Deneen are saying. They were weighing in against the law because of the harm that these types of laws do to people and communities, but also because of the real concern about religious freedom and about the ability of people to be able to make decisions about their own lives that are in accordance with their own conscience. So that's really what's at stake here. And it's a very concerning day in the country when we're seeing that these fundamental uh, privacy interests are, are being threatened and have been threatened, of course, for many years. Uh, so we've talked a, a lot today about a lot of important facets uh, to the potential of overturning Roe. So this question is for you all. If the Supreme Court returns the question of abortion to states, then what can be done by people of good faith, both legally, politically, and spiritually? I know that's more than both, but all of those. What can be done to combat this potential catastrophe from happening? Or how can we advocate and work for women's reproductive health to make advancements? Uh, Jen, let's start with you. I appreciate that question. And I think it's a really heavy and tough one. Um, I have a lot of people that are asking me, how can we make this not happen? How can we you know, prevent this from happening? And I think that the unfortunate, um, the unfortunate situation is that we are going to see a significant increase in restrictions around abortion, whether or not it's outright banned, um, consistent with the leaked uh, Supreme Court opinion, or it's less than, we're going to continue to see an assault on the ability of people to access essential health care. Um, and so I think that there are a lot of different things that people of faith and that um, people who are supportive of their neighbors and their families and their friends um, accessing this care can do. I think um, talking about it, grappling with conflict around it, letting people know that it doesn't have to be a polarized conversation, that we can feel lots of different things all at the same time about really tough subjects. Sometimes abortion can be one of those things. Um, we do that all the time with faith, with spirituality, with other things in our lives. Um, and so talking to your family about it and helping people be move with forward with compassion and with empathy rather than judgment um, goes a long way. And I think that, um, you know, one of the only ways, you know, I'll let Sky talk about the, the legal aspects of this, but voting is going to be huge. The, our lawmakers are the ones that are doing this. They are supposedly representing us. And so um, they are really working hard to make it hard for people to vote um, and to vote well. And so, you know, one of the things that I have been really looking at and, and making sure that I'm working on with all of my organizations, Catholics for Choice, and, and all of the jobs that I'm working at is making sure that we are 
working to make sure people can vote and have their um, voices heard. Um, and so getting involved, particularly since it's a midterm election, um, getting out there and helping your community have their, um, their voice heard. And then at the end of the day, if none of those things are possible, being um, spiritually in spirit and um, in whatever way you can supportive of people who are in need of non-judgmental compassionate care, whether it be they're having a miscarriage, an abortion, a pregnancy, or in a complicated social situation, we can just extend ourselves with empathy. I think that um, that is gonna help us move towards a place where we as Americans can understand that this is not a polarized issue. It should not be, and ultimately should be a decision that's being made by people who have expertise in their own lives. Well, thank you so much. And uh, uh, Denise. Yes. Um, for me, um, it's a twofold uh, thing. Um, it's important that we, actively engage on purpose with educating folk in congregations, um, particularly in areas that have trigger bans uh, in place so that they can mobilize to get folks to care, whether that's paying for a bus ticket, paying for a plane fare, or just driving them themselves. Also, um, it's important for folks to get connected to funds in their area abortion funds so that they can volunteer. They can also um, be uh, support via telephone, taking folks meals, helping with their small children. Should a person uh, have a procedure? Um, those are all ways that people can help that will help us during this time because in places where people have trigger bands, they're gonna have to travel and so traveling with small children is very difficult, very costly, and makes the process uh, almost something that, that you're like, you know what, it'll be easier for me to just have the kid than to have to go through all of this to get to someplace, even though you know you're already struggling as a for instance, or you're, you're someone that knows you don't want a parent at this time, having, being able to get quickly to a fund and get the support that you need is so important. And those are ways that good people of good faith can be helpful now. I love that. Thank you so much. And Sky, we know that you're in an airport and connection uh, is a little shaky, but we're going to give you the last word. We're also going to let these answers serve as our more to tell question. A good faith media, uh, our tagline is there's more to tell. And both of you have just answered that question beautifully. So Sky, we're gonna give you the last word. What is your more to tell? And give us some hope. What can we do uh, to make certain that women's health, reproductive health is protected and, and not only in the future, but that it can thrive in the future? Well, I think that, look, how we have hope is conversations like this, being in community with each other, having these conversations, being able to meet people where they are, understand folks' perspective, and talk honestly about what is going on in our communities, how these laws and restrictions are harmful to people, and how we can be in community and help people. I also want to give you some hope about the courts, and it's hard to have hope about the courts right now, but I will tell you that lawyers and advocates are not going to give up on what we know 
know is fundamentally right in our constitution and in our democracy, which is that people get to control and make decisions about what's right for them in their lives. Those are fundamental privacy interests. They're fundamental equality interests, making sure that women and people have equality under the law, that restrictions not be enacted that only affect one group of people over another, such as women. Lawyers are not going to give up this fight. Um, you see that recently. Um, there's been a lot of coverage about this and you'll see it. So I hope that that gives hope that we all have to do what we can do in our corners. It is gonna be a long road, but we can travel it together and we can do that while making sure that we're affirming the radical equality of all people, both under the law and of course in, in our world more broadly. Uh, Dr. Veda Vicencio, Reverend Robinson, Scott Perryman, thank you so much for lending your voice to this important podcast, this important issue. Uh, it does seem like it's dark days, but you have given us hope that we can continue uh, to take a stand, to, to step up, stand up, speak out, step or step out, and march forward. So thank you all for being a part of this podcast. Thank you for having thank us. You. Thank you. And to Thank our you. Good Faith uh, audience, uh, we appreciate you tuning in this week. Uh, Autumn and I will be back next week with another guest. And until then, keep living good faith.